Then our Pharazon hardened his heart, and he went aboard his mighty ship Al Carandas, Castle of the Sea. Many oared it was, and many masted, golden and sable, and upon it the throne of our Pharazon was set. Then he did on his panoply and his crown, and he let raise his standard, and he gave the signal for the raising of the anchors, and in that hour the trumpets of Numenor outrang the thunder. Hey, 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 I'm Danny J. What's up, gang? I'm Joel and I'm Trevor D. And we are Keep, keep On, on Tolkien. Yeah, we're getting yes. better at that. Yeah, we're getting good. Practice makes perfect. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. Episode 79. 79. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, let's start off with a couple announcements. Uh, don't forget to check out our new merch store. Yes, of course. T-shirts and other things available. Yeah, we're now uh, selling merch on tmail.com. The, uh, so our page is the keep-on-tolkien-podcast.tmail.com page, and we'll have a whole bunch of designs there made by us and friends. Yeah, Trevor's actually designed a few of these. If you're a Trevor fan, you got you just got to have this Trevor original shafted shirt. I know That's I'm pushing right. this, but... That's right. You know. If you're a Trevor Stan, we know they're out there. Yeah, we always do. And Shafted is a great shirt. And there are things other than t-shirts you can get as well. That's yes. right. Stickers, tote bags. Go get them. Go get them, guys. So today is part two of our uh, trilogy series that we're doing. Yes. And uh, this series is Assholes Through the Ages. Uh, last episode, we focused on uh, the first age where we talked about Maglin. 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 Today? Cousin, cousin fucker. Cousin, cousin fucker. fucker. Famous, fu- famous cousin fucker. Yeah, and today, ironically enough, <laughs> another famous cousin fucker. <laughs> I don't know if that's a theme of the uh, assholes, but are all cousin fuckers assholes or, or just some cousin fuckers assholes? That's a good... Cool, we're getting deep. <laughs> so far, these <laughs> we're starting, traits... We're starting, we're, we're starting early with this. It's a deep philosophical question. These, these traits are so far combined. I mean, it may just be the genes, you know? It's in the <laughs> DNA. <laughs> All assholes are cousin fuckers, but not all cousin, cousin fuckers, fuckers are, are assholes. <laughs> so there are some nice ones. <laughs> well, weird. For today's episode, we're going to be focusing on the second age this time. And uh, for the second age, the asshole we wanted to highlight oh, is yeah. our Farazon, of course. Also sometimes known as our Farazon the Golden. The Golden. The Golden, huh? Um, yeah, you might know our Farazon from the Rings of Power series. It's played yeah. by that dude with the sick hair no, and really the freaking awesome beard. Very cool beard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they did They did a pretty good design for him, I think. I hope my beard looks like that when I'm old. Oh, like, dude. That gray, I'm, I'm getting a gray streak in my beard. You're, you get, you're yeah. getting it, man. Yeah. I'm going to look like our Farazon. It's going to be regal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I've never been accused of. <laughs> so let's get into it, guys. Who, briefly, who is our Farazon? So he's the 25th and final king of the island kingdom of Numenor. And Mm -hmm. he's uh, the most directly responsible for the downfall of Numenor. Yeah, that's a good way to put, if you just like, who is he in a nutshell? Like dictionary definition? Yeah. The one most responsible for the downfall. Really though. What what did they put on his gravestone? Like it's right there. Responsible for downfall. (laughs) You know what else they might put on his gravestone? Some names and titles. 
Yeah, that's right. there you go. Th- that's what they call in the biz a segue, Trevor. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start off with, uh, you got. we already mentioned one, Our Fair is on the Golden title, of course, The King of Numenor. Yeah, that one's pretty obvious. Yeah. Also, The King of Men, though. Mm-hmm. And that's the, a self-proclaimed title. We'll learn that later. And the king of the sea. Mm-hmm. It's king of a lot of things. We've also got Tar Kalion, which is the Quenya word, or the Quenya name for son of the light. And then there's Tar Kulu. Yeah, just a note on those two. So Tar Kulu was actually uh, something that they found in Tolkien's writing that they think might be our Farazan. Uh-huh. But it's an early draft of something, so it's it's a possible name for him. Gotcha. I think it might have been one of his early names. Mm-hmm. And uh, they say that uh, Tarkalian, um, Tolkien says that it means the same as uh, as Farazan, the golden. Sure. So, uh, But it actually more translates to Quenya for the son of light. Gotcha. Okay. okay. But yeah, means essentially means the golden one. Mm. Yeah, let's get into the background of this asshole. <laughs> because that's... Spoiler alert. That's Spoiler what alert. Was, he's an asshole. <laughs> he's an asshole. But apparently he didn't start out that way. That's what we're going to get into, yeah. That's my uh, my overarching, after writing this episode, view is more sympathetic than it was going in. Gotcha. Well, yeah. hey, you know where any good place to start with the background is? Where? With some history. Yeah. Yes. Let's do a recap of some Numenorean history for you Dunedain heads. Yeah. Yeah, because talking about our Farazon, we could not talk about him without first talking about Numenor. So Yeah. Got to get a recap of some Numenorean history here. So Numenor is an island nation that was gifted to the Adain, that's the men, after the War of Wrath. It was gifted to them by the Valar, and it kind of ushered in the beginning of the Second Age. And uh, Numenor, the island itself, it sits across the Sundering Seas from Middle-earth, just adjacent to Valinor. So it's a little closer to Valinor. Yeah. Trevor, who ruled the island of Numenor? Numenor was ruled by the line of Elros. Yeah. Let's, okay. So, like, uh, let's get into some pertinent kings here. Well, let's, let's talk about the first pertinent king to the story we're talking about today. Tar Elendil. He's the fourth king of Numenor. What was cool about him, guys? So Tara Lendil, he wanted his eldest child, Silmarion, to rule, but it was forbidden by Numenorian law at that time because Silmarion was a girl. Yeah. And later on, that was changed by Tar Eldarion, who literally changed the law because he did not want to have another child. <laughs> yeah, so he wanted his <laughs> daughter to be able to rule. Yeah, and she, and she did. Yeah, she was the first ruling queen, one of three ruling queens. Yeah, but this also created the title of the lords of andunie yeah and that was because their dad uh her her dad um tara lando thought that it was total bullshit that a woman couldn't uh be ruler even though they were the eldest right so she he kind of gave her like her own noble house yeah for her line for her line uh so yeah they created the lords of andunie and andunie is like the largest city in the westlands of of uh of numenor mm. does it um, have a, a meaning it means uh, like City of the West, I think it would translate to, right? Something like that. All I know is Dune is West. Yeah, yeah, and mm, yeah. Okay. So yeah, what they did was they basically split the line of Valros at this time. Um, and so they both kind of, they actually even split the heirlooms, which is how Narsil, the Elendilmere, and all that stuff. Right, so a, you've got the Lords of Andunier, and then you've got the line of kings, essentially. Yeah, you know, and they kind of, yeah. So like uh, line of kings keeps uh, Aranruth, the sword, and Dunier gets Narsil, mm-hmm. you know? Like, they split up the... 
Didn't the Lords of Andunia also have the scepter that ultimately goes on to right the, the uh, which goes on to be called the scepter of Anuminos? Yeah, yeah. Well, now we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes, I don't even know if that comes into the story. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they split the line. King's line, Lords of Indunier. So who are the Lords of Indunier? Well, they're a uh, really powerful and wealthy uh, family of the line of Elros. And they always served as trusted advisors to the king. They were always very high standing in Numenorean society. And later on, the two houses would often intermarry. Right, yeah, later on down the line. Yeah, so, so Numenoreans uh, are, are very careful not to fuck their cousins. Yes. By Typ- nature, typically, they try. Typically, yes. It's actually forbidden by Numenorean law to marry your first cousin. Yeah, it seems kind of oddly specific, but that's kind of an issue on these island nations. Yeah, and that's actually... <laughs> Small population, yeah. Yeah, this brings us to a fun fact. <laughs> um, this is a real life fact. This is a Danny J real life fact. Um, in these island nations, such as our fun island Iceland, <laughs> they have a real actual accidental in- incest problem. Yeah, just due to the fact of having that <laughs> that population in like, a small area in that small area on the yeah. island. There's like three. There's three hundred about three hundred thousand people in Iceland, making it the most sparsely populated country in Europe. Oh, so it's pretty open. Yeah, it's just a small There's just very island. few people over there. Yeah. You well, have to travel pretty far to see other people, is that what we're saying? Yeah, you either have to go to Ireland or Greenland. But I mean, just uh, just on the island itself, like... There's like one city, Reykjavik is the capital, and yeah, I don't know how many people are in Reykjavik, but it's not big. I, okay, yeah, I can, <laughs> I can see why the, the problem exists. But yeah, so in this country, there's actually an app. And it's run by the government, and it has a genetic database uh, in it. And it'll tell you, before you, um, quote-unquote, go out with somebody. Romantically. You know what I mean. You check to see how closely related you are with this app. Yeah, it's a, it's essentially just a check. It'll, what, it'll buzz or something? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it makes a buzzing noise, which is uh, the incest alert alarm are you really the incest that's what alarm? it translates to yes oh this geez. this app is called in uh islindiga which is means iceland app islindiga islindiga there you go yeah thank you trevor that's a fun that's a fun word yeah that's how you say iceland and icelandic i guess yeah <laughs> so apparently you just download the app and then all you have to do is bump your smartphones together and if the alarm goes off that means you you're too closely related to uh what why why would you have to meet the person do you does it you need to have the do you need to have the shame of being like oh we probably shouldn't no it's only it's only to be used in the case that you want to get with somebody yeah like if you are romantically interested in somebody you bump your phones that's actually why don't you read the app slogan here trevor this will put it into perspective (laughs) (laughs) he he laughs you can do it you go ahead, Drew. Oh, jeez. Bump the app before you bump in bed. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. I can I can honestly understand how that'd be very useful because that would be honestly horrifying if that was a problem where we lived, like at, like getting oh, yeah. together no, with people suck. and then finding out later that oh my god that was somebody I was actually related to that yeah. I never met. Because like regardless well, of how you actually do feel about cousin fucking, like inbreeding is bad for populations. It's bad know? for health. It's, it's health for health reasons, right? So, so like it's awesome. That's right. That's government run. You said. Um, yeah. From what I understand, it's run by the government. Yes. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Yeah. Public yeah. health. Public health. They look at it as a public health issue. If like, only Numenorians had apps like that. Reasonable. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, let's get back to the Numenorians. Um, so the Numenorians originally, as a culture, 
They were faithful to the Valar and Al friends. They worshipped Ilvatar whole whole nine yards. Yeah, but uh, they but as they lived in the bliss of Numenor, they began to fear and resent death. All right, we've got an excerpt about this uh, from the fall of Numenor. Our Farazan, the golden seizes the scepter. They became thus in appearance, and even in powers of mind, hardly indistinguishable from the elves. But they remained mortal, even though rewarded by a triple or more than triple span of years. Their reward was their undoing, or the means of their temptation. Their long life aids their achievements in art and wisdom, but breeds a possessive attitude to these things, and desire awakes for more time for their enjoyment. That, the, yeah, that excerpt to me, I chose this one specifically because this to me, in a nutshell, sums up the Numenorian um, problem. The Numenorian issue, yeah. Yeah the, yeah, the complex of the Numenorians, right? Yeah, because like, they got their these reward extended... Is their, yeah, they're undoing. So like they make things so cool for so long mm-hmm. that they resent the fact that they don't get more time to hang out with the cool shit that they've created. Mm-hmm. And to me... I sympathize with that highly because I am also human <laughs> and I also have to die. Yeah. So, you know, I get it. So I can yeah. imagine it'd be much worse when you have more time to build more for yourself. Yeah. Could you imagine like we're so more time to get attached to these things. Yeah. We're so attached to our lives and we live like what? 50, 60 years, right? That's what I'm going to live. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. We're already so sentimental. Could you imagine having something from like when you were 14 and you're now 203 and you're yeah, just like, dude. How much would you uh, just like be like, I remember back then, like... How attached to you? How would you get? Like, oh, me yeah. and me and Joel have known each other for, like, like almost close to 18, 18-ish years now, something like God, that. Has it been that long now? Yeah, it has been, Joel. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, like, imagine if me and Joel were this good of friends and we were Numenorians, mm-hmm. we would have known each other for 80, 90 years. Yeah. In the very least, you know? Mm-hmm. So you would get much more attached to people and stuff like that. So yeah, it'd be, a, it'd be a much bigger deal when someone dies when they're like 300 years old. You and, know? and that's the cool thing about these early Numenorians is they didn't greedily hold on to life because they saw death as a gift. So like the kings, remember, they would they would give the scepter over before they were geriatric. They would, you know, give it to their son and be like, you be king now because I'm out of my prime and I'm getting to accept the, de- the, the gift of death soon. Like, uh, they weren't so greedy about it back in those days. Back when they were more faithful to the old ways. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like they ruled basically till death, right? Like, it's not like they retired and were like, I'm going to take it easy for a little while. No, they originally did, Trevor. They they had, uh, the king would step down. Usually when his son turned about 100 years old, that was when they were, like, ruling age, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we learn this all from the story of uh, Eldarion the Mariner. It's all laid out in there. But yeah. They would originally abdicate the throne when they started to become old, like, you know, old, old. Mm-hmm. And then they would go live out the rest of their lives in uh, in bliss. Heck yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, it was a lot cooler that way. When you get to these kings here in the end, like we'll talk about, they they kept the throne until the day they died. They, like, they really they got yeah, very bitter. Very bitter and greedy and resentful of death. So around the year 2900 of the Second Age, this is when Numenor as a whole began to turn away from its roots. Uh, the Numenorians became jealous of the elves for their immortality, and the emissaries of the Valar came to Numenor seeking to remind the Numenorians 
that death was not given as a punishment, it was a gift. But uh, there were few who remaining who were loyal to the Valar and friendly to the elves, and the population essentially became split between those known as the Faithful and the Kingsmen. Yeah, and the speaking of the High Elven Tongue Quenya was actually straight up banned, and they stopped nailing, naming their rumors, their rulers in Quenya. Started using Adunaic instead. Yeah, they started getting very proud, very uh, nationalistic. So we've got an excerpt here about this from The Fall of Numenor. Our Pharazon the Golden seizes the scepter. There are three phases in their fall from grace. First, acquiescence. Obedience that is free and willing, though without complete understanding. Then, for long, they obey unwillingly, murmuring more and more openly. Finally, they rebel and a rift appears between the king's men and rebels, and the small minority of persecuted faithful. Yeah, I love that. Uh, it's so exciting, by the way, to be able to... This episode is full of uh, Fall of Numenor excerpts, which is super cool, guys. But I love this, yeah, in a nutshell, right? The uh, the three phases that they go through <laughs> of, of falling from their grace. Yeah, it is It is pretty cool that we get it just broken down. I'm really excited about this book. It, this is, if for those that don't know, the Fall of Numenor. This is that uh, new book that just came out in uh, November of 2022. Yeah. So it's pretty recent. It's really Brand fun. New. To, it's really fun to get to, to get to dig further into that event and get some of these new excerpts. Like I literally cracked the spine on it for this episode. Did you oh, really? Yeah, it cracked real good. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's get into a little bit about uh, the rule of Tar Palantir. Right. This is a very important reign, actually. Yeah. Leading up to our friend Arpharazon, we got to talk a little about Tar Palantir. So eventually, by the reign of are Gimilzor, the faithful Numenorians were openly persecuted by the state. Yeah. And they still operated only clandestinely. Yeah, in the uh, when Tar Palantir, whose uh, original Numenorian name in Zilladun, when he took the scepter in uh, Second Age 3177, he tried to reform Numenor and return to tradition. Yeah, we've got an excerpt here about this from the fall of Numenor, Repentance of Tar Palantir, Civil War in Numenor. When Enziladun accepted the scepter, he took again a title in the elven tongue as of old, calling himself Tar Palantir, for he was far-sighted both in eye and in mind, and even those that hated him feared his words as those of a true seer. Tar Palantir repented of the ways of the kings before him, and would, fa and would fain have returned to the friendship of the Eldar and the lords of the West. So Palantir's mother was uh, named Inselbeth, and she was secretly one of the faithful. And uh, she taught her ways to her eldest son. And uh, her cousin was actually Erendur, who was the 15th Lord of Endunie. So this is where we get these these lines marrying each other further on down the line. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. But though the state was officially faithful again, most of the people of Numenor were king's men. And the, the Valar were not moved. Oh, no, they weren't. And we got an excerpt again here from the fall of Numenor, the repentance of Tar Palantir, comma, civil war in Numenor. And this is Joel reading it. He gave peace for a while to the faithful, and he went once more at due seasons to the hollow of Eru, up the Menel Tarma, which our Gimilzor had forsaken. The white tree he tended again with honor, and he prophesied, saying that when the tree perished, then also would the line of the kings come to its end. But his repentance was too late to appease the anger of the Valar with the insolence of his fathers, of which the greater part of his people did not repent. 
Ooh, yeah. Yeah, people didn't uh, go along with him. Too no. little, too little, too late. A little too late. The entire island nation had pretty much turned to mostly kingsmen by this time. So, mm-hmm. and Palantir was like wrecked by this. He was so sad by the the fact that he couldn't turn the hearts of the people back to the Valar. Yeah, he ended up resorting to locking himself up in the tower of Tar Minister over in the westlands of the island. Yeah, just outside of Indunia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's uh, one of the, the cool uh, things about the Rings of Power series. They have that, the, yeah. ta- the Tower of Tar Minister. And, uh, that's pretty cool. And Tar Palantir up there being sad. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got a excerpt here from The Fall of Numenor, Repentance of Tar Palantir, and Civil War in Numenor, read by Trevor. Thus the days of Tar Palantir became darkened with grief, and he would spend much of his time in the West. And there ascended often the ancient tower of King Minister, up the hill of Oramit, nigh to Endunia, whence he gazed westward in yearning, hoping to see, maybe, some sail upon the sea. But no ship came ever again from the west to Numenor, and Evolone was veiled in cloud. Yeah, what an excerpt. I would love to go up to the to- the king uh, minister's tower. That would be you could see the, like all the all the pastures of the Westlands, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of sheep herding and shit over there. It sounds remember? beautiful, honestly. Yeah. I'd love to go up the Menel Tarma, but I oh, know only yeah. the kings only are the king allowed there. Used to do that. Yeah. Could you could you see the ocean from the top of the tower? Or? Oh yeah, yeah. Indunia is on the on the coast. Yeah. Oh heck yeah. Yeah. So if you get you get pastures and ocean. But you'd, and you'd essentially look one way and you'd see a, a big a big city on the on the coast with a huge harbor, right? Thick. And then you'd look the other way and you'd see all these pastoral kind of like low lying hill lands. Right, and it would smell very the smell the smell of the westlands was like uh, yeah it was very fragrant and yeah you could smell the uh, the air wafting from the west sometimes from Valinor I'm sure it's salty as well well yeah. you could well you could literally smell Valinor from from that part of the island oh that's wicked I yeah. bet you Valinor smelled amazing yes it did <laughs> so let's talk about uh, another asshole here actually it might be the main asshole the driving asshole he, oh really. This is the the Wizard of Oz of the asshole. He's the guy behind the curtain. Really, okay, really. I hadn't known much about this guy at yeah. all previous to this. And his name is Gimilcad. Gimilcad. And Gimilcad is Palantir slash Inziladun, his younger brother. And he uh, wasn't so close with his mommy apparently, and he didn't learn the ways of the uh, the faithful. He was a openly kingsman. Yeah, he eventually became the leader of the Kingsmen. Yeah, not only was he yeah, in that le- that mind, he was willing enough to totally openly oppose the uh, reforms of his brother, uh, Palantir. Yeah, we've got an excerpt about this from the fall of Numenor, Repentance of Tar Palantir, and Civil War in Numenor, read by Danny. In Gimilcad, the king's brother was strong and ungentle, and following the ways of Argimilzor, he took the leadership of those that had been called the kingsmen and opposed the will of his brother as openly as he dared, and yet more in secret. Yeah, and so after his death, his son would eventually follow in his foot his footsteps in douchebaggery. And actually, he'd be even worse. He'd be even fucking worse. That's right. Um, and yeah, this is where we start to get into the subject because who is Gimil Khad's son? But today's subject. Our Farazan. Mm-hmm. And we got a uh, little excerpt from The Fall of Numenor, Repentance of Tar Palantir and Civil War in Numenor, read by Joel. 
Gimilkad died two years before his 200th year, which was accounted an early death for one of Elros's line, even in its, even in its waning. But this brought no peace to the king, for Ferazan, son of Gimilkad, and nephew to the king, had become a man yet more restless and eager for wealth and power than even his father. Yeah, our Farazan was born in the year 3118 to Gimilchad and an unknown mother. Not important enough to have her name. Another un- another, another unnamed woman character. Yes. A lot of Numenorean women just swept under the rug, you know? Apparently. Yeah. So our Farazan was a dear child friend with Amandiel, who was his cousin on his grandmother's side, and Amandiel was also the future lord of Andunie. Yeah, I got it. Uh, writing this episode got really into Numenorean uh, genealogy here. Yeah. So they are second cousins on his grandmother's side. Yeah. Even though Amandil and his family were prominent members of the faithful, uh, his father, Numendil, was Lord of Andunia in their youth. And you know, we'll talk more about this later. Yeah, we'll get more into the the when Numendil was uh, Lord of Andunia here in a second. So Ferrazon was said to be an incredibly beautiful man. And he also had pretty great strength and stature. Yeah, just a fucking Adonis, apparently. We've got another excerpt about this here from the fall of Numenor, Repentance of Tar Palantir and Civil War in Numenor, read by Trevor. Ar Farzan was a man of great beauty and strength and stature after the image of the first kings. And indeed, in his youth, was not unlike the Adain of old in mind also. Though he had courage and strength of will, rather than of wisdom as after appeared, when he was corrupted by the counsels of his father and the acclaim of his people. Right, so it says right there that he was always a strong and brave man, but never all that wise. Mm. And later on, it appeared that he became very wise, but why, right? Mm, Influence. And this was only after being corrupted. So this this goes into my, my theory that Farazan was not originally a dick, it seemed. And this makes him a little bit more complicated of a character than I originally understood. Okay. Um, yeah, he spent a lot of time in the Westlands with his cousins, who are prominent members, if not the leaders, of the faithful, right? Mm-hmm. Lords of Andunier. Yeah, in the Lord, yeah, the heirs of Valandio, the Lords of Andunier. Um, and he's best friends with his second cousin, Amandil. Yeah, he even met his other cousin, Muriel. Yeah, that's the daughter of Enziladun slash Tarpalantir. And we have a uh, excerpt here from the fall of Numenor again, the repentance of Tarpalantir and Civil War in Numenor, read by Danny. In his earlier days, he had a close friendship with Amandil, who was afterwards Lord of Indunie, and he had loved the people of the house of Elandil, with whom he had kinship, through Enzilbeth, his father's mother. With them, he was often a guest, and there came Zimrafel, named Muriel in the elven tongue, his cousin, daughter of Enziladun, who was later King Tar Palantir. Yeah, and Farazan uh, took a liking to her. And we have an excerpt uh, from the fall of Numenor, Repentance of Tar Palantir, Civil War in Numenor. Now Zimrafel was a woman of great beauty, Smaller in stature than were most women of that land, with bright eyes. She was older than Farazan by one year, but seemed younger. Yeah, this is one of those fun things that uh, you get by reading this. It actually says, in stature, it says in brackets, question mark. So I'm assuming they couldn't read what he wrote. (laughs) Once again, 
had uh, some trouble reading Tolkien's old handwriting and notes. Yeah, so she's smaller somehow. That could be in stature, but we know for sure she is smaller somehow. Somehow. Maybe she's small-minded. Maybe she's really dumb. Maybe she's very small-minded. <laughs> so as some of you may remember, Farazon would eventually force Muriel to marry him. But in this version of the story presented in the new Fall of Numenor book, it's as though she's a little more into him, at least in the beginning. And uh, this is presumably before Farazon became the asshole we know him to be. Yeah. Well, well hold on. So hold on. So we're saying he he had a thing for her. Did he have a thing for her? Yes. yes. Right. He definitely did. Or he, and or she he had just, a thing for him. And so, okay. So in the in the it version, was a mutual yeah. cousin thing. Yeah. The the cousins were. Little too, little too into admiring each other. of each other. Mm. Oh, oh boy. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. This is, this is this is technically worse than Maglin. But I don't know in this version if it was like not cool for Norman Numenorian cousins to do that. You know what I mean? Like maybe it wasn't weird in, in that version of the story. So I guess I, I don't know. I, but she is. Uh, we have a little excerpt here uh, that Trevor's going to read from Fallen Numenor um, that uh, sets up this uh, how she kind of was a little into old Ferrazani. Elantir, the brother of Amandil, loved Muriel, but when first she saw Farazan in the splendor of his young manhood, and when Farazan was greeted upon the steps of the house, her eyes and her heart were turned to him, for his beauty, and for his wealth also, and Farazan went away, and Muriel remained unwed. Yeah, so not only is this guy an Adonis, he's beautiful, he's also really fucking rich. Apparently. Yeah, because he is, yeah, of the line of kings, right? Like, uh, you know, he's of the line of Elros, so, like, we're talking about rich people here. Let's talk a little bit about his uh, time in the military at Numenor. So, Farazan left Numenor as a young man to fight in the navy, and the king's men were fighting the servants of Sauron in Umbar at this time, and uh, parts of what would eventually become southern Gondor as well. Yeah, the area that they called the Southlands in the fucking series. Yeah. Yeah. He proved himself a great captain of men on both land and sea, and he became, as we just talked about, very wealthy and famous. Uh, Largely due to Farazan's efforts, the servants of Sauron did not harass the Numenorean settlements on the coast of Middle-earth for the time being. Yeah, he was a strong force. Yeah, he quelled that shit for a while. Yeah, you say what you want about our Farazan, he is a mighty man, and he is, yeah. He's effective. He's effective. (laughs) Effective is a good word. So Farazan returned home when he heard of his own father's death. Uh, We've got an excerpt here again from the fall of Numenor. Farazan had fared often abroad as a leader in the wars that the Numenorians made then in the coastlands of Middle-earth, seeking to extend their dominion over men. And thus he had won great renown as a captain by both land and by sea. Therefore, when he came back to Numenor, hearing of his father's death, the hearts of his people were turned to him, for he brought with him great wealth and was for the time free in his giving. So, hold, yeah, okay. just fucking throwing gold out there. So he's he's hot. He's yeah. rich. He's sexy. He's tall. And he's giving it out. He, yeah, he's rich and he's... He's sharing yeah, it. Exactly. Woo! Who is this magic man? Arpharazon. <laughs> Jeez. That's what I'm saying. Arpharazon could have been a very cool guy. 
I mean, he's so far, so far, this is cool stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because like, his dad was an asshole and indoctr- indoctrinated him with shitty things, but he was also still cool with the faithful and shit. Like, he was, you know, I don't know, like... Uh, that's the thing like are were there people who were brought up as kingsmen who are good people i'm sure Mm -hmm. totally you know so like you know i feel like he's maybe one of those characters what what do you think who could have swayed either way depending on he is and that's my that's my theory yeah thanks for putting it that way that's my the theory that i came up with when i was writing this so eventually Farazan became so popular that he was able to do shady shit and essentially get away with it. Nobody would yeah. really say anything because Nobody said boo about it. He was so rich and popular. So let's talk about the death of Tar Palantir and the rise of our Farazan. So in the year thirty two fifty five of the Second Age, this is when Tar Palantir dies of just sheer grief and frustration over basically his population he he rules not being faithful he just couldn't reach people and it 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 made him sad and he couldn't deal with it he was only 220 years old yeah which uh yeah very young that is particularly yeah because they live to be 300 or more oh yeah that's that's some really intense depression guys yeah it is yeah and there are people like that in in tolkien that just do die of grief Mm -hmm. um and that's a very uh, give, lo- losing the will to live is a theme in Tolkien. It definitely happens. Yeah. 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 You know what else happens? People see this as an opportunity. People like Farazan. Exactly. So Farazan forces the illegal marriage to his cousin Muriel, who at this point is no longer into it. And after the marriage, he seizes the scepter, which came from Muriel's house. Uh, so he's really seizing it illegally, and he becomes the twenty-fifth king of Numenor. His support is so strong that nobody has enough power to contest his claim, and the faithful are again forced underground. Yep. We got an excerpt here from Joel, uh, also from the Fall of the Fall of Numenor book. God, this book rules. And it came to pass that Tar Palantir grew weary of grief and died. He had married late and had no son, but a daughter only, born in the year 3117, whom he named Muriel in the elven tongue. And to her now by right and the laws of Numenorians came to Scepter. But Farazan took her to wife against her will, doing evil in this and evil also in that the laws of Numenor did not permit the marriage, even in the royal house, of those more nearly akin than cousins in the second degree. And when they were wedded, he seized the Scepter into his own hand, taking the title of Ar Farazan, Tar Kalion in the elven tongue, and the name of his queen he changed to R. Zimrafel. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's a double whammy because you're not supposed to marry your cousin, first of all. Mm-hmm. And if you do marry the eldest daughter of the king, you are not, you're like king regent or whatever they fucking call you. You're, sure. you're, you're not. Yeah, you're she's not the still ruling. The, she's yeah. the ruler. Exactly. You're like, you, you, what's you his sub name? Ruler, Philip, right? right? Is it Prince Philip? I, I uh, can't remember what. They're all fucking weirdos. <laughs> yeah, you're just like the second in charge, throwing, maybe. Throwing weirdo. Hey, I'm an American. I don't like royalty, all right? And furthermore, I'm an anarchist, so I don't like royalty even more, all right? Fuck yeah. Well, as a result of his actions, our Farzan would become a mighty and proud king. I mean, he was already a mighty guy, right? Why not be a proud king and a mighty, you know, keep his stride? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, he would eventually become a tyrant to the men of Middle-earth, and he would bring unprecedented wealth and glory in war to Numenor. 
Uh, we have an excerpt here from the fall of Numenor. Arpharazon the Golden seizes the scepter. The mightiest and proudest was Arpharazon the Golden, of all those that had wielded the scepter of the sea kings since the foundation of Numenor. And four and twenty kings and queens had ruled the Numenorians before, and slept now in their deep tombs under the Mount of Meneltarma, lying upon beds of gold. No less than the kingship of the world was his desire. Yeah, this is and this is when the Numenorians as a policy become I don't want to say there's good colonists and bad colonists, but they become like the colonists in our world, just clearly exploiting and extracting wealth. Like yeah, that's yeah. all they do. And yeah, they, they start to extract worse here in a little bit and we'll see, <laughs> we'll see what they do. So let's talk a little bit about the faithful. Uh, so suddenly it really was not cool to be one of the faithful in Numenor. No. And they were publicly scorned and the heirs of Elandil were stripped of their wealth and power by Farazan's order. Uh, we have another excerpt here about this from the fall of Numenor, read by Danny. The Elendili, elf friends, the faithful, alone were not subservient to Arpharazon, or dared to speak against his wishes. And it became well known to all in that time that Amandil, the lord of Andunier, was head of their party, though not openly declared. Therefore Arpharazon persecuted the faithful, stripping them of any wealth that they had, and he deprived the heirs of Valandil of their lordship. Damn, going right for the right for the wealth. Yeah, only wealth. Yeah, so it turns out Amandil proved to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Amandil was the leader of the faithful, but also had the love of many in Numenor. Yeah, faithful and king's men alike, which was a big deal. Yeah, he's just a very respected man in in Numenorean society. You you couldn't move against this kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It would be like trying to move against Tom Hanks or something like what? that, you know? <laughs> yeah. like, so I'm just trying to think of somebody universally loved. Well, and not- what's really funny, Ruru our editor fucking hates Tom Hanks. <laughs> Tom Hanks, <laughs> yeah. the why? He hates his face. I don't know. Well, it wasn't only that, but Farazan was also still fond of his old childhood friend and he didn't have the heart to actually harm him anyway. Instead, he forced his friend to reside in Romana. Yeah, and this, to me, shows that Farazan was not wholly evil, even at this point. Because even though they were on opposite sides, he he wouldn't harm Amandale. He didn't have him killed. Right. He kind of put him in soft captivity. Sure. But he's able to still see his sons and plot against the king. So, like, he's clearly not under that much of a <laughs> sure, yeah, lockdown. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this shows that like he still holds the memory of his childhood uh, dear, and uh, he f- he recognizes that the faithful, even though they're on the other side, are are you know still people too, are still Numenorians too. Yeah, he's at least got respect for the other side. Yeah, and we have an excerpt here, another one from the fall of Numenor, guys, and Joel's gonna read it. And Dunier he took then and made it the chief harbor of the king's ships. And Amandil the Lord he commanded to dwell in Romana. Yet he did not otherwise molest him, not dismiss him yet from his counsel. For in the days of his youth, ere his father corrupted him, Amandil had been his dear friend, and Amandil was well beloved also by many who were not of the Elendili. Yeah, so he was just respected all around. Yeah, and this is something I, I didn't actually realize before. He actually did move against the Lord's Menduni. I kind of thought originally that he just like let them be. 
Sure. But no, he stripped them of their titles yeah. and took their wealth, which is like all you can really do to harm somebody other than kill them, right? Yeah. Is to take all their shit. <laughs> Definitely an offensive move. Put put them on the street. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Rob them. <laughs> you got literally the heirs of Volandale, like just out on their ass, you know? Yeah, so next we should talk about Farazan and our good guy Sauron. Oh yeah, this is when Sauron comes back into the story. Yeah, so Sauron definitely plays a pretty big part in the story of our Farazan's life, at least in the latter years. Yeah, toward the end. Well, let's do a big meanwhile. 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 Back in Middle-earth. So, during our Farazan's life, meanwhile back in Middle-earth, Sauron, our good friend and dark lord, he has heard of the contention in Numenor. Yeah, this whole rift between the Kingsmen and the Faithful, he's heard about it. Naturally, he's going to go take advantage of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and on a little more personal note, he really just wants to fuck with Farazan. Yeah, Farazan had spent uh, many years of his life kicking Sauron's ass as a captain in the Numenorean Navy. Yeah, so at this point, Sauron's a little bitter about it, and he begins fucking with the Numenoreans on the coasts of Middle-earth. Which sends their settlements into chaos. Yeah, Farazan gets super pissed off about this. He sees himself as the colonial master of Middle-earth, and Sauron is essentially challenging his dominion over Middle-earth. Yeah, it's not so much that Sauron is evil, it's that he's taking what's rightfully mine. Yeah, he's a, he's encroaching on his territory. Yeah, kinda. he's like, hey, I'm supposed to be the colonist here. Yeah. This is kind of like, I suppose, like like what, like what World War One or something, where all the colonists are fighting each other, you know? This kind of reminds me of a civilization, right? You got yeah, Numenorians like, so, yeah. over here, Sauron over here, yep. just trying to go across the sea. Yep. We have an excerpt about this from the fall of Numenor. The chapter, Our Farazan Sets Sail and Lands at Umbar, read by Trevor. Now Sauron, knowing of the dissension in Numenor, thought how he might use it to achieve his revenge. He began, therefore, to assail the havens and forts of the Numenorians, and invaded the coastlands under their dominion. As he foresaw, this aroused the great wrath of the king, who resolved to challenge Sauron the Great for the lordship of Middle-earth. Ooh, challenge him to a rap battle. Showdown, yeah. Wouldn't that be that would be an epic rap battle? That yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Farazan versus Sauron. So lots of strange words reach the king's ears regarding Sauron at this point. Like, who the fuck is this guy even anyways? Yeah, people aren't really like familiar with Sauron at this point. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. had that shit that we if you've studied the first age. Which, you know, probably not a whole lot of people had done in those times. Probably not many of the Kingsmen, no. No, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. D- um, didn't we just say that Farazan, like, beat his ass a while back, though? He did, yes. Right? Yeah. So so Farazan knows, would recognize him, well, right? Well, he, he knows Sauron is, like, a menace in Middle-earth, but he doesn't know, like, is this a god? Is this an evil spirit? Like, doesn't quite who? realize his potential to be a full-on Dark Lord yet. Uh, yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah, yeah, so he's heard these rumors, and that's what this uh, next excerpt is. I understand where this is going. Yeah. So we've got uh, this next, er- uh, excuse me, this next excerpt here is from The Fall of Numenor. Our Farazan sets sail and lands at Umbar, read by Danny. Mariners of Numenor brought rumor of him. Some said that he was a king greater than the king of Numenor. Some said that he was one of the gods, or their sons, set to govern Middle-earth. A few reported that he was an evil spirit. Perchance Morgoth himself returned, but this was held to be only a foolish fable of the wild men. And now there came to him the masters of ships and captains returning out of the east, 
And they reported that Sauron was putting forth his might, since Arpharazon had gone back from Middle-earth, and he was pressing down upon the cities by the coasts. And he had taken now the title, The King of Men, and declared his purpose to drive the Numenorians into the sea and to destroy even Numenor, if that might be. Damn, it's a lot of lot of lot of crazy rumors all of a sudden coming out of the <laughs> yeah, east. Yeah, exactly. Who the fuck is this guy? I, I love he's like he, he may be the gods or one of their sons. <laughs> right, which perhaps is not far off. Yeah, not really. Yeah, turns out Fairson he has a plan. He makes one. He's gonna defeat Sauron and make him his servant. That's I know his, what I'll do. That's his fucking plan. Yeah. What what a plan too. Yeah, he spends five years preparing his armament to to take out Sauron. Just just to enact his plan. And in the year thirty two sixty one, he finally sets sail and lands at the Numenorian uh, the Numenorian havens at Umbar, and uh, the absolutely stacked Numenorian army crosses the river Poros and marches north to assail Mordor itself. So just a, uh, a side thing. I, I was reading about the River Poros, mm-hmm. and I sent you this thing. Remember that thing that we should have mentioned in the Rohan episode? The two twin uh, brothers of the Rohirrim who are killed at the Battle of the Crossing of the Poros, mm-hmm. uh, later on, and this is in the Third Age, they build uh, a mound there, the Mound of the Twins, and uh, it's like a grave, and all, oh, all, the, right. all the servants of Mordor are afraid of it. Pretty cool little thing I learned about River Poros the other day. Hell yeah. Fun fact. But yeah, aside from that, we have a <laughs> an excerpt here read by Joel, Fall of Numenor. Arpharazon sets sail and lands at Umbar. And men saw Arpharazon's sails coming up out of the sunset, dyed as with scarlet and gleaming with red and gold, and fear fell upon the dwellers by the coasts, and they fled far away. But the fleet came at last to that place that was called Umbar, where was the mighty haven of the Numenorians that no hand had wrought. Empty and silent were all the lands about when the king of the sea marched upon the uh, marched upon Middle-earth. For seven days he journeyed with banner and trumpet, and he came to a hill and went up, and he set there his pavilion and his throne. And he sat him down in the midst of the land, and the tents of his host were ranged all about him, blue, golden, and white, as a field of tall flowers. Then he sent forth heralds, and he commanded Sauron to come before him and to swear him fealty. Yeah, straight up. They march on up there. I want your loyalty, dude. Bend or, the knee. Yeah, bend the knee right now. Yeah. <clears throat> and, <laughs> well, to everybody's surprise, I guess, Sauron's servants were not about to stand against the Numenorians. And, you know, Sauron's not a dummy. He's, he's a pretty smart guy. He's, I think he's proved that so far. Yeah, he's shrewd. Yeah, he knew that no, even his most powerful servants w- would not be able to withstand a single Numenorean, let alone the billions of them that they brought across the sea yeah, with them he, today. He did not have the strength. No. It's funny because it's good because they just kind of l- left all of his servants. Yeah. They're like, see ya, this is not, no, we didn't sign up for this. Yeah, fine and good anyway. They ain't going to stick around for it. Yeah. Like, this is a, this is a slaughter. See ya. So Sauron plays his cards a little differently. He takes on a fair form and he humbles himself before Farazan. And some people seemed to think that uh, Sauron was pretty cool at this point. He talked a big game. Yeah, very flattering, very smooth, very, you know, debonair type yeah. of dude. He's got that that cha, that high cha, right? That, that high cha mod. High cha mod. 
Yeah. Speech 100, yo. So Farazan is essentially dumb and assumes he has the upper hand here with Sauron. And Farazan really does not know Sauron well enough. Farazan tells Sauron that he will submit to him and come back as a hostage to Numenor. No, Sauron's homies won't fuck with Numenor anymore. And uh, Sauron pretends to be dismayed by this, but he's actually super stoked. Because essentially it'll be way easier to take down Numenor when you're in Numenor. Yeah, well, you think, right? Devious. Yeah, we got an excerpt from uh, Fall of Numenor here from Trevor is going to read it. But Arfarzan was not yet deceived, and it came into his mind that for the better keeping of Sauron and of his oaths of the fealty, he should be brought to Numenor, there to dwell as a hostage for himself and all his servants in Middle-earth. To this Sauron assented as one constrained, yet in his secret thought he received it gladly for it chimed indeed with his desire. This is a hard doom, said Sauron, but great kings must have their will, and he submitted as one under compulsion. Yeah, that's something Sauron says over and over again. Great kings must have their will. That's mm-hmm. his, his slogan, if you will, when it comes to dealing with Farazan. Yeah, so Sauron gets taken back to Numenor, and he is a model prisoner. Yeah. And he's actually freely offered knowledge to the Numenorians. Yeah, he's kind of like the Andy Dufresne from uh, Shawshank Redemption, right? <laughs> yeah, he brings, he's yeah, he bring he, he brings uh, a lot of cool shit to the the people that run the prison and or you know the state. <laughs> buys, buys a lot of goodwill with the Numenorians. Yeah, That's definitely knowledge is power, if you will. Yeah, Numenorians uh, like the Naldor. They really like uh, knowledge and shit. And uh, yeah, but eventually he began to have the ear of the king himself. And in just three years, Sauron went from being a hostage to the king's most trusted advisor. What a flip. We get an excerpt about this from you know, Fall of Numenor. Uh, Sauron has taken his prisoner to Numenor. Yet such was the cunning of his mind and mouth and the strength of his hidden will that ere three years had passed... He had become closest to the secret counsels of the king, for flattery sweet as honey was ever on his tongue, and knowledge he had of many things yet unrevealed to men. Now Sauron had great wisdom and knowledge, and could find words of seeming reason for the persuasion of all but the most wary, and he could still assume a fair countenance when he wished. Great kings must have their will. This was the burden of all his advice. And whatever the king desired, he said it was his right, and devised plans whereby he might gain it. Yeah, so Sauron is really advantageous to have around at this point. Um, he starts talking to the people themselves. He gives many speeches. He's a good he's a good orator, this guy. Yeah, and he says that the Numenorians, uh, they're mighty, and that their lands to the east and west of them that that could be won. Yeah, in the west, that's the key. He says, and the west. He also began to speak of something called the darkness. Yeah, he, indu- he introduces this idea to the, the people. He also starts speaking of the Lord of Darkness. Whom Farazan becomes very interested in. Yeah, Sauron schools him on this in secret. We got an excerpt from The Fall of Numenor by Joel. And out of it the world was made, for darkness alone is worshipful. And the Lord thereof may yet make other worlds to be gifts to those that serve him, 
so that the increase of their power shall find no end. And Pharazon said, Who is the Lord of darkness? Then behind locked doors Sauron spoke to the king, and he lied, saying, It is he whose name is not now spoken, for the Valar have deceived you concerning him, putting forward the name of Eru, a phantom devised in the folly of their hearts, seeking to enchain men in servitude to themselves. For they are the oracle of this Eru, which speaks only what they will. But he that is their master shall yet prevail, and he will deliver you from this phantom, and his name is Melkor, lord of all, giver of freedom, and, sh and he shall make you stronger than they. This uh, really was the, the beginning of the end. Yep. Yep. When, the, when he got this little bit of information, as soon as he heard of this Melkor cat, that was it. It was over. And he's just like, bam, yeah, I'm worshiping you from now on. Yep, our Pharazon began to worship Melkor and the darkness. And at first he did this in total secret, but eventually he put it openly on display and all of his simps began to do the same. Yeah, eventually the worship of Ilovatar was not only completely abandoned, but it became illegal. Straight up. and That's a societal shift. Yeah, it was pretty hard. And the mental tarma was even off limits. Punishable by death. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. the king naturally never, the kings never ascended up there again. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, the white tree was not tended. It was, well, it was completely abandoned, uh, but they wouldn't fuck with it anyway. Uh, Farazan would not fuck with this tree because he remembered the words of his predecessor, Tar Palantir, that the line of kings would end when the tree perished. He still, he still believed that. Of course, this just makes the faithful become even more vigilant. They operated secretly throughout the island, uh, but were headquartered in Romana. The leaders were Amandil and his son, Elendil, and his sons, Isildur and Anarion. Yeah. We got a, uh, another Fall of Numenor excerpt here, read by Trev. The chief among them, to whom they looked for leading and courage in evil days, was Amandil, counselor to the king, and his son Elendil, whose sons were Isildur and Anarion, then young men by the reckoning of Numenor. Amandil and Elendil were great ship captains, and they were of the line of Elros, Tar Miniatur, though not of the ruling house to whom belonged the crown and the throne in the city of Armenelos. You know what really bothers me about this excerpt here? Hmm. This is a total nerd thing. It says not. It says the ruling house to whom belonged the crown. Do Numenorean kings wear crowns? Oh, they have a scepter, not a crown. Yet, <laughs> and normally Tolkien does say take the scepter refers to the scepter, but this one time he says the crown, which is weird. Maybe it's more metaphorical. Could be, but he usually uses scepter in that situation. Well, okay, so hold You'll on. You'll have to write him about it. Yeah, I'll write, <laughs> I'll write him a letter. Get that crack out that Ouija board again. Does that, would it be in, in this instance at least that the scepter would be in possession of Muriel and so he'd still have a crown? I don't think so, man. I, I think it's just like a, it's an inconsistency for either for the sake of how it sounds or I don't know. Honestly, I mean, yeah, I feel like it makes more sense contextually to say crown. Yeah, but yeah. oddly enough. So Sauron gave the king lots of extremely fucked up counsels, but eventually Sauron told the king to go and cut down the white tree, Nimloth. So at this time too, Amandil was also dismissed straight up from his council, but he did hear the orders given, of course. To cut the tree. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he tells his sons and grandsons what he has heard. Without saying a fucking word, Isildur sets out in disguise. He fights the kingsmen and steals a fruit from the tree. And he gets seriously fucked up. Uh, with seven wounds? Seven times. Yeah. And uh, unconscious for a long time. Yeah, but this all doesn't really have much to do with our Farazon, so if you want to hear more about that, check out our High Kings episode, Isildur. Yeah, so the white tree was felled and eventually burned in the temple built in the for the worship of Melkor and Armenelos, but members of the faithful were unfortunately also burned and sacrificed in that temple. It wasn't just you know offerings of food and stuff it was no. literally people yeah Bur- burn the witches literally. burn the faithful and uh this is what i meant when i said extracting more uh the numenorians began kidnapping men from middle earth to burn as sacrifice as well yeah and this gained Ferris on the title of the biggest tyrant the world had ever known just scooping people up to burn them save yeah. save melkor himself yeah other than melkor this is the baddest cat to ever friggin live but that says something because that means that he was even more of a tyrant than sauron was right up to this Pres- point presumably yeah. up till this point up to this right point, yeah. right true yeah true sauron has his time <laughs> so yeah sauron never uh controlled as much land as the numenorians did like never did he have that much power Except maybe uh, <laughs> right uh, after the War of Elves and Sauron, or right up until then. Maybe. Maybe. I think I could ag- agree with him being second place to, to Melkor, though. Just It seems like he does so much evil stuff, and he's not... Uh, he's, he's not, like, ultra-powerful like Sauron and Melkor, and he still manages to do some pretty awful he's stuff. He's just hella rich and mm-hmm. really good at killing people. And he's, yeah. sa- he's good looking. He's very he's very charismatic. He probably went over there, tricked him coming over. <laughs> yeah. What is it? What's the quote of the, uh, I think of the Lawrence of Arabia quote. The desert is an ocean in which no ore is dipped. In the English, go where they please and strike where they please. The Bedou. Or the Bedou, excuse me. Yeah. The Bedou go where they please and strike where they please. But that's the Numenorians, right? Yeah. They're great because they have a kick ass fucking navy and they can go anywhere and fight anybody. Yeah. They're the masters of the sea. And so over time, Numenor and Farazan became unmanageably wealthy. Stupid wealthy. During this during this period where they were just going to Middle Earth, uh, kidnapping people, plundering their wealth, taking it back. Mm hmm. But it was never enough, and at this point, the island itself was literally falling into shambles. Uh, we have an excerpt here from the fall of Numenor, read by Danny. For whereas aforetime men had slowly grown old, and had laid them down in the end to sleep, when they were weary at last of the world, but now madness and sickness assailed them, and yet they were afraid to die, and to go out into the dark, the realm of the Lord that they had taken, and they cursed themselves in their agony. And men took weapons in those days, and slew one another for little cause, for they were become quick to anger. And Sauron, or those whom he had bound to himself, went about the land setting man against man, so that the people murmured against the king and the lords, or against any that had aught that they had not, and men of power took cruel revenge." Yeah, so Farazan hoped that all these sacrifices would be enough to, quote, release them from death, end quote. He's like, when is it going to work, dude? We've we've yeah. burned a whole lot of people now. We're really depopulating uh, Middle Earth yeah, over like here. How many more people do we got burned before, uh, before we get this release? But Sauron is a fucking liar, so of course it didn't work, and the king became furious. And it was then that Sauron gave him his last counsel. Time to take on the Valar. 
and seize immortality once and for all. Yeah, because that's possible. <laughs> Farazon, at first, he, uh, um, like any smart person, feared assaulting Valinor and thought it was a bad idea. But as he began to grow old, he got real desperate. Yeah, and so uh, Farazan begins building the Great Armament in uh, 3310 of the Second Age. Yeah, so Amandul hears about this secret plan and comes up with a last-ditch effort to save his homeland. And he will attempt to break the ban of the Valar and sail west to Valinor. And he plans to do what his forefather Eärendil did once upon a time and essentially fucking beg the Valar for their help and their forgiveness. Yeah. And uh, he advises his boys to keep ships off the coast packed with anything they cannot bear to part with and as many faithful as they can fit in them damn things. And eventually they do just that. And they prepare nine ships full of the faithful and some of their trinkets and family heirlooms. Heirlooms and and yeah, some uh, history of Numenor and stuff like that. Yeah. And they're ready to straight up just bug out. If they have to. Yeah, they're ready for shit to go down. They're ready to leave as soon as they need to. Yeah, Yeah. and then Amandil sails off. He he, uh, originally goes east and then's like, see ya, and then (laughs) turns around and goes west. Goes west. Yeah, we never hear from him again. It is now and will forever remain. A Tolkien mystery. A Tolkien mystery. A Tolkien mystery. Yeah. But yeah, it took nine years for Arpharazon to prepare his assault on Valinor. Yeah, and in this time, Numenor saw many ominous warnings telling them they probably shouldn't be doing this. Like, for example, in the early days, the (laughs) weather of Numenor (laughs) used to be perfect all the time. Perfect seasons, perfect amounts of precipitation. But during the building of the Great Armament, the weather started to go a little insane. Little bonkers. This is one of my favorite uh, parts of Numenorian history here. (laughs) That's about to happen. (laughs) We're talking huge-ass storms. Huge. Uh, Hail, rain, crazy amounts of it. Giant eagle-shaped clouds. Very ominous. Yeah, we've got a. Uh, this is from the uh, an excerpt from the Akalabeth uh, in the Silmarillion uh, from Joel. The sky itself was darkened, and there were storms of rain and hail in those days, and violent winds. And ever and anon, a great ship of the Numenorians would founder and return not to Haven, though such a grief had not till then befallen them. And out of the west. There would come at times a great cloud in the evening, shaped as it were an eagle, with pinions spread to the north and to the south, and slowly it would loom up, blotting out the sun, and then uttermost night would fall upon Numenor, and some of the eagles bore lightning between their wings, and thunder echoed between sea and cloud. Sounds like a pretty blatant... Yeah, a little, uh... Warning. Kind of a sign. Yeah. Some people changed their tune after this eagle shit. Yeah, some people were like, all right, back to the old ways. And most people doubled down, including Farazan. Yeah, and our Farazan's got this uh, this little tiny quote here. The lords of the West have plotted against us. They strike first. The next blow will be ours. (laughs) Yes, the people who can literally control the fucking weather. The fucking weather, yeah. Good luck, bud. Yeah, good luck. So after this sentiment was expressed, shit really went crazy. At this point, lightning began randomly striking everywhere and killing people wherever they may be. And this leads to one of the more metal moments in Tolkien. And because it's so metal, we couldn't resist the excerpt. And we got our uh, resident metalhead, Trevor, is going to read it for us. This is from The Fall of Numenor. 
now the lightning increased and slew men upon the hills and in the fields and in the streets of the city. And a fiery bolt smote the dome of the temple and shore it asunder, and it was wreathed in flame. But the temple itself was unshaken, and Sauron stood there unharmed. And in that hour men called him a god, and did all that he would. When therefore the last portent came, they heeded it little. For the land shook under them, and a groaning as of thunder underground was mingled with roaring of the sea, and smoke issued from the peak of the Menaltarma. But all the more did Arfarzan press on with his armament. God damn! Even earthquakes what? and like what a dumbass! What all of a sudden the mental tarm is a an active volcano now? Like my favorite <laughs> is when it says lightning increased and slew men upon the hills and in the fields and in the streets of the city. Yeah, <laughs> just like, everywhere. Nowhere is safe from the Valar. Yeah, he's struck by lightning anywhere. Oh. People are dying. You gotta build this weapon, dude. Let's yeah, so do the, it. These signs are getting pretty intense. Don't do this. But, nonetheless, in the year 3319, the Great Armament is finally complete, and they are ready to roll out. Yeah, Farazhan, he leaves Armenelos and heads over to the Westland, where the ships are moored. We got a quick excerpt here from the fall of Numenor, our, Sar- our Farazhan assails Valinor. In that time, the fleets of the Numenorians darkened the sea upon the west of the land, and they were like an archipelago of a thousand islands. Their masts were as a forest upon the mountains, and their sails like a brooding cloud, and their banners were gold and black. And Farazan boards his ship, Alcarandus, and sets sail, uh, which means, uh, Alcarandus means castle of the sea in yeah. uh, Adunaic. Adunaic, yeah. And Joel's going to read an excerpt from Fall of Numenor for us. Thus the fleets of the Numenorians moved against the menace of the west, and there was little wind, but they had many oars and many strong slaves to row beneath the lash. The sun went down, and there came a great silence. Darkness fell upon the land, and the sea was still, while the world waited for what should betide. Slowly the fleets passed out of the sight of the watchers in the havens, and their lights faded, and night took them, and in the morning they were gone. Sounds kind of spooky. Kind of ominous. Ultimately, the fleet breaks the ban of the Valar and sails west into the Blessed Realm. Yeah, all of the Eldar are terrified by this new Minorian fleet that just shows up. Yeah, they were really, uh, they all flee at the sight of it. It says they're dismayed because it blotted out the sun, I remember. Crazy. They're just like, nope, nope, not dealing with this. Yeah, and all the elves, they retreat into the city of Tyrion. And I imagine to Tyrion, was there even like walls around it? Are these cities even fortified? There's no war in this land. Do they even have weapons? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, just... No wonder they're terrified. The very sight of the city of Tyrion upon Tuna, the hill of Tuna, it just absolutely floored Pharazon when he saw it. And for a moment, his heart was softened, and he even considered turning back. But he couldn't. He couldn't do it. Not now. Pride wouldn't allow it. He had to do it. Or risk looking like a huge asshole. What a I prick. Mean, I feel like either way at this point. <laughs> yeah, this has I culminated mean, nine years of bullshit. Like, you know? Yeah, what, yeah it was nine years for him to complete the uh, the Great Armament. Yeah. Uh, and we got another uh, excerpt here that Trevor's going to read from Fall of Numenor. Our Farazan assails Valinor. 
But the fleets of Arpharzan came up out of the deeps of the sea and encompassed Avalone in all the Isle of Aresia, and the Eldar mourned. For the light of the setting sun was cut off by the cloud of the Numenorians, and at last Arpharzan came even to Amman, the blessed realm, and the coasts of Valinor, and still all was silent, and doom hung by a thread. For Arpharzan wavered at the end, and almost he turned back. His heart misgave him when he looked upon the soundless shores and saw Tienquitel shining, whiter than snow, colder than death, silent, immutable, terrible as the shadow of light of Iluvatar. But pride was now his master, and at last he left his ship and strode upon the shore, claiming the land for his own, if none should do battle for it. And a host of Numenorians encamped in might about Tuna, whence all the Eldar had fled. Yeah, he is really committed to this bullshit right now. Yeah, and they're there. They they're there. They did it. They made it. Yeah, they actually they set, set foot, foot on the blessed realm. Yeah. So then a bunch of really fucked stuff happens really fast in rapid succession. Yeah, Ma- uh, Manway literally says pretty much jesus take the wheel take it from my hands jesus take the wheel yeah and uh, the valor literally uh abdicate their their authority and they lay down the control of arda and ask eru the one god to intervene and he does he does the world (laughs) suddenly made round i love that yeah just boom like that he makes the world round a giant chasm opens up and water flows in the fleet is totally just fucking swallowed by the ocean. Yeah, Valinor is essentially removed from the map, so men can never set foot there again. Yeah, and the entire island of Numenor itself is fucking swallowed by the sea and sinks. Yeah, yeah, straight up Atlantis. All Everybody is sank, everybody except for our homies in the nine ships. That's right. Elendil and Sons. Yeah, our homies over there. But that doesn't come into this tale, does it, Joel? No. No, the Numenorians that are on land are essentially trapped beneath the falling coastal mountains, and Arpharazon and his men are trapped in the caves of the Forgotten until the Dagor Dagorath at the end of times. Yeah, I wonder uh, which side they'll fight on. It's still just, I love that Dagor Dagorath. It just, it's so fun to say. Yeah. Yeah. Battle of battles. Uh, so we have a excerpt here from the Silmarillion, the Akalabeth, that we just just couldn't fucking resist. No, we we gotta we gotta put it in here. It's about the fall, the downfall of Numenor. We got this excerpt read by Danny. In an hour unlooked for by men, doom fell. Suddenly, fire burst from the Meneltarma, and there came a mighty wind and tumult of the earth, and the sky reeled, and the hills slid, and Numenor went down into the sea, with all its children and its wives, and its maidens, and its ladies proud, and all its gardens, and its halls, and its towers, its tombs, and its riches, and its jewels, and its webs, and its things painted and carven, and its laughter, and its mirth, and its music, its wisdom, and its lore. They vanish forever. And that's it, guys. That's the story of our Farazhan gone well i suppose he's not gone forever he's trapped in the caves of the forgotten yeah his ass is gonna have to answer for some shit (laughs) 
Dag or Daggerath, that's the one we'll see our Ferris on again. So, yeah. so does he does he die in the cave, or is he just sort of like... No, it says they're trapped in there until the final battle. Yeah, which is weird because they're mortal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so they're somehow kept alive in there. I so, guess it's almost like a form of torture, yeah. a form of punishment. What if they did like when people are trapped in coal mines and they just put like a feeding tube down there <laughs> and you just like suck on it, you know? So they keep if all alive. of a sudden you were all endowed with the inability to die, do you think people would resort to cannibalism? I don't know, but it was also, I didn't really think of that until just now. The one thing that our Farazon wanted is to never die. And now, mm. guess what? Baby, you got your wish. You ain't never going to die. You're going to be in those caves until the end of time. Careful what you wish for. Because you just might get it. Potential argument for it, right? Like in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, Aragorn gets the army of you know ghosts basically i was, yeah, was going to mention that the undead army yeah the undead army so it could just be that they do perish in the cave you know living anyway Ooh, but they have their ghostly form but now there's yeah another like spectral Ooh. form or like skeletal Ooh. same kind of curse power same kind of like the dead men have done her i like it's, that it's their, like it's their doom right it's some good tolkieniering there trev yeah top notch um, yeah, but so that's the, the story of our Farazon. Um, but before our final thoughts, we have a little bit of a bit for you. A bit of a bit. And this is a fun uh, what if written very late at night by me. <laughs> and uh, it ties this episode in with the last episode as well. Where we talked about Maglin. Where we talked about Maglin. And we call it Rehab of Mandos. Enjoy, friends. Enjoy, guys. When our Farazon woke up at first, he saw only a bright light. He brought his hand up to shield his eyes as they adjusted. When he could finally see properly, he looked around him. He was sitting upright in a chair in the middle of a small room with three chairs. One was empty, but in the other sat an elf. He was wearing some strange light blue garb. Farazon looked down to see that he was clad in the same. The elf was fast asleep. Farazan spoke aloud to himself. What is this devilry? What new woes await me in this strange place? Just then, the elf next to him began to moan as he returned to consciousness. Uh, what is this? Wh where am I? Grima? Is that you? The elf opened his eyes and looked at Farazan. He sprang to his feet, for he was unrestrained but still afraid. Name yourself, elf. Whom do you serve? I serve only myself, Maglin, son of Ale. And who are you, son of man? Maglin spoke, trying to hide the resentment in his voice. Yes, you are no elf, but a man, though taller and fairer than any such as I have seen. From where did you come? I was trapped, stuck in those caves. Those dreadful caves where light and time are things forgotten. Strange. I was just down in Traders with two men. One called Olfang, the other Grima. In Traders, you say? What is this place? Where am I? The elf looked strangely at Farazan. Do you not know, son of man? Just then, a door on the opposite side of the room opened, and a man entered. He was not tall. His attire was strange to Farazan. He wore a blue button-down with a red tie. His sleeves were rolled up to the elbow. He smiled brightly. Hello, Mr. Farazan. It's great to finally meet you. If you would kindly just sit down, we can begin. He gestured to the chairs on the floor in front of them. 
Farazan slowly sat down, and the man did the same. Ah, well, for those of you who do not know, you are here in the new rehabilitation unit of the Halls of Mandos. The Halls of Mandos? Of course! Where else would we be? That's right. The Valar have recently um, went a different direction when it comes to how we deal with souls. Maglin and Farazan had nothing to say, so Keladone continued. That's right. I'm Keladone, your social Maiar, working under Mandos himself. And as we now like to say, Mandos may literally mean prison, but really, Mandos is about healing, okay? Rehabilitation? Healing? Why are we here? Well, there is something that you both have in common that is actually the reason why you are here. And we are going to see if you can figure out what that thing is. So let's start by saying some of the bad things that we may have done in life. And remember, there's no judgment here. This is a safe space. Farazan, why don't you start? Well, I lament to say that I may have been responsible for the destruction of an entire ancient kingdom. Surely there's no way you've done the same. Meglin was looking down at the ground, embarrassed. I actually may have done much the same. Surely not. And surely you did not do it only to serve your own selfish needs as I did. Well, actually, <laughs> he did. Um, That is actually... Strangely enough, not the reason why you are here. Strange coinkydink, though, don't you think? Both Farazan and Meglin stared blankly back at him. All right. Well, let's build on that, Meglin. Exactly, uh, how did you commit your betrayal? Well, I allied myself with an evil dark lord who promised to give me things. I turned my back on my family and my people. Oh, wow, really? No way, same. All right. Well, let's go further. Why did you do it all, Maglin? Well, I really, really wanted to uh, <laughs> be with my, my cousin. Oh. 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 Now we may be getting somewhere. Farazan, does anything about what Maglin just said resonate with you? Farazan turned to Maglin, but did not look him in the eye. I may have um married my cousin to... uh. Seize the throne. Whoa! Really? Was she into it? Um, no, not really. There was silence in the room for a moment. Well, it seems you guys have solved the riddle. Yes, you are both cousin fuckers. Yes, this is actually the cousin fuckers rehabilitation ward. No! And that's right. Here we will be unlearning some of those cousin fucking tendencies that you uh, may have learned getting yourself here. Wait, I don't deserve to be here with this cousin fucker. I was doing just fine with the other traitors. Hey, now, fuck you. I did it for power, not because I'm some kind of pervert like you. Oh, so you're saying your cousin isn't super hot? Well, no, of course she is, but I mean, that's neither here nor there. And at least I got the job done. You didn't even get to actually fuck your cousin. You're just a, a wannabe cousin fucker. Fuck you, dude! No, fuck you, dude! Both of them sat there with their arms crossed, not looking at each other like spoiled children. <sighs> I see we're going to have a lot of work to do. And work they did. For many ages of men, they were rehabilitated. 
The day finally came when all of their work paid off, and they were finally free of their cousin-fucking tendencies. Well, I'll freely admit that at times, I didn't think we'd get here. But you know what? We finally did it. And what did we learn? Cousin-fucking is not not cool. Right. And what do we now say about our cousins? Cousins are family, not fuck toys. Very good. And what do we do if we have those feelings? Shamefully beat off. That's right. And what do we beat off to? Fake Fake cousin porn. Woo! Caledone's eyes filled with tears. In all his life as a social Maiar, he had never been so proud. And that's the end, guys. And Hope- end scene. And end scene. Hopefully you enjoyed that. <laughs> that was that was fun. Cousin that was fuckers rehabilitation. Yeah, you gotta re I mean, I'm all about rehabilitation over punishment. And if we can teach these cousin fuckers <laughs> to stop <laughs> that's just the best teach them to stop their ways. Yeah, exactly. We can save them with porn. Exactly. That would remember the last episode Pornhub would have saved Gondolin? Yeah. It would have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we have evidence it could work somewhere. And I would just gotta bring it to Gondolin. Yeah. Could have saved Numenor too, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh let's let's get into some final thoughts about our Farazon. Yeah, well in conclusion, guys, our Farazon is probably the biggest asshole of the second age. Oh, totally. Yeah. Most directly responsible for the destruction of Numenor. But there are some things I did learn writing this episode. Our Farazon wasn't always an asshole. He was actually friends with many of the faithful. Um, and he had to have realized that um, they were not the enemy that his father made them out to be. It's kind of like when you know you're you're brought up to believe any kind of minority group is right shitty. Like as soon as you know one of them, mm-hmm. you kind of you think obviously think different yeah. of that that group of people. So yeah. like he must have known that the faithful are good people. You know, of course, yeah. yeah. He's, no, he's very much a product of his environment. Yeah, his dad made him into a shitty person, and we can't wholly blame him for that. Uh, Arizon is still an asshole, but this episode really made us sympathize with him a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, Farazon could have been a really cool Numenorian, uh, but he was prideful and he fucked everything up. Like we, like we said, including he, his cousin. He, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. We we did say he was like not very wise, right? Right. He, he was he was buff and handsome and, and all that good stuff. High charisma. High charisma. Not high wisdom. Not high, not high wisdom. wisdom. So no. he, yeah, he took it and fucked it up. The and, explains all. Yeah, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, he's just a prideful man that was afraid to die, and we are all afraid to leave all the things we love. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's the thing we talked about earlier with the Numenorians, right? The Numenorian complex, like mm-hmm. you, things are so cool and so great that you want to spend more time with them. You want more time with these things. And yeah. aren't, aren't we all afraid to die? There's always more to do, to learn, <laughs> exactly, to learn, to experience, to to be. Yeah. Well, right. I guess you can't really be anything other than you, but you know what? It would be cool. I agree. I agree. But that's all we got for uh, this week, guys. Just tune in next week for episode 80. Holy shit, 80 episodes already. That's right, guys. 80. Um, Assholes Through the Ages, part three, Saruman. Saruman will be our asshole of the third age. I am so excited for Saruman. Me too. I feel like I know a lot of stuff about him, and uh, I feel like there's a smorgasbord. We're going to learn a lot. Oh, he is an asshole. Oh, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a cousin fucker, though. Wouldn't no. that be cool if they were all three cousin fuckers? That'd be <laughs> that fun. actually wasn't the theme we chose, but it kind of worked, you yeah. know? Technically, Saruman doesn't really have any cousins, but we'll get into that next week. <laughs> he, he sort of fucks 
Gandalf, but not which they're kind of they're both Maiar, so they're like kind of cousins, kind of cousins, sort of, I yeah. Guess. Not necessarily related, not necessarily in an incest kind of way, but yeah. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> we yeah. yeah. Moving Th- on. Thanks for listening <laughs> to Keep On Tolkien Podcast, guys, and a big thank you to our patrons. Uh, don't forget to go subscribe on Patreon to help support us and get some exclusive content while you're there. That would be patreon.com forward slash kot podcast. And if for some reason uh, you would prefer to do just a private one-time donation, we can make that happen through PayPal or other services um, if you would like to support us that way. Yeah, and also subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, www.whateverwebsite.com slash keeptalking. Yeah, stay up to date with all of our new episodes. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like and, uh, and a review. Yeah, check us out on social media. Join our Discord. There's a link in the description. Follow us on Twitter at KOT Podcast. And follow us on Facebook at uh, www.facebook.com forward slash official keep on Tolkien. Follow us at Instagram at keep on Tolkien podcast. Yeah. And don't forget, like we mentioned earlier, don't forget to check out that new merch store. That's keep dash on dash Tolkien dash podcast dot tmail dot com. I feel like that link needs to be made into a song. Keep dash on dash Tolkien dash podcast dot tmail dot com. Got a flow, guys. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm Danny J. And I'm Jolin. I'm Trevor D. And we are Keep keep On 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 Tolkien. Yay! Ow! Ray and Tuliba!